Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are considering men and women of the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of his people. Today we consider Solomon, a wise king who became a fool. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. So, we are moving on to Solomon in our series regarding men and women in the Bible. And remember, we're trying to be somewhat brief here. And one of the things I said, and we'll get to his request for wisdom. However, he's well known, he's very popular for his wisdom. In historical context, obviously in biblical context, he is the king, the wise king throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, Jesus actually refers to him, and we'll talk about that somewhat briefly. So, wisdom. Wisdom is something that I think is very much lacking in our day. True insight, true understanding. And remember, when we went through that apologetics course, series, whatever you want to call it, I had mentioned early on when I came to faith, I, in order to study and I mean, I was really trying to argue against Christianity at the time, but I was, I found the truth so relentless through my studies of different philosophies. You know, Augustine was, is probably one of the wisest men in church history, but we've, we've, we've never been bereft of a wise Christian, so to speak. Jonathan Edwards was probably the wisest man in American history. You know, John Calvin, the Reformers, and so forth. I mean, there are, there are many. And what I just want to say is, you know, we need to manifest the pursuit to true wisdom, to true godly wisdom. And we'll talk about that. But remember, as I mentioned, you know, in that, in that series, I pursued many different philosophies. And Socrates, one of the things I love that he had said is the unexamined life is not worth living. In other words, if you live your whole life and never consider yourself, never consider truly the world as it is and our own, you know, ways and so forth, then it's not really a life worth living. If we just kind of go by day by day, moment by moment, and just accept everything as it is, that's not wisdom. And ultimately, that's a dull life. It's a meaningless life. And remember, I also said, Augustine said something kind of similar. Remember, man goes abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, to the, height, the great heights of the seas, the long courses of the rivers, you know, the vast compass of the ocean, the circular motion of the stars, but they pass by themselves without wondering. And remember, that's why I tried to emphasize that point. Wisdom really comes through wondering. It's, always, it's, a, it's a constant journey of wonder and really seeing the splendor of God manifested in his creation, in mankind, okay? So what we're going to begin with, because again, we're trying to be a little more brief with these, what we're going to begin with is Solomon's request for wisdom, okay? He was, he's still young at this time. Da Solomon was the son of Bathsheba, just so you know, we briefly mentioned Bathsheba, and God anointed Solomon to take his place. And just a quick little history, uh, one of David's other sons usurped the throne without permission and basically David had to put an end to that Solomon ended up executing him he executed him and Joab so you had asked about Joab last week ultimately uh, it was the judgment of God but it was by the hand of Solomon basically David told him you know here you know here's the kingdom yours is now the kingdom however 
you know what happened with Joab and Adonijah, and I doubt, you know, David really wanted him to kill his son. However, that's what happened. That's what happened. But Solomon's very young at this time when he comes to the throne. Okay, so we're going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 before we move on. Real quickly, Solomon, I think, is somewhat of an enigmatic figure here. Okay, we're going to see the rise and kind of fall of Solomon, sadly, as he grew older, he actually lost wisdom. Typically, the Bible always talks about, remember, we've talked about the, the gray-headed man, the gray-headed woman are filled with wisdom because they just have more experience. They've had more time on this earth. And Solomon seems to have gone the other direction. He was, he was full of lust. He really loved women, as we'll see. And that's, that ultimately ended up with his fall. But it begins in a spectacular fashion. Somewhat spectacular. So let's, let's dive in and we'll consider these. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon and sacrificed there, for that was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech, <clears throat> the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what what you, have, what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Now remember when we considered Jeremiah somewhat, when the Lord came to him to call him to prophesy, to call him as a prophet, he was very young and he basically declined. He was saying, I'm too young for this. And remember, I'm paraphrasing here, but God said, don't, don't say you're too young. I can work in whomever. Okay, you're not too young. I've called you, now go. Solomon humbly asks as, as little as a young man. Okay, he's not technically a little child. The Hebrew with, with that word it can be somewhat ambiguous, but he's definitely young, okay? And 
And he doesn't ask for riches or long life or, you know, deliverance out of the hands of any of the enemies. That would typically be the request of kings, especially in the Orient. Okay, so God is definitely pleased with this. You know, you're asking for jurisprudence. You're asking for discernment in order to judge your people, in order to manifest faithful rule, in other words. Remember, we've, we've, we've discussed that the king... The, king, the Israelite king is not to be a king like all the other nations. Remember? And we saw how David really exemplified that with all of his faults. And Solomon is full of faults as well. Ultimately, there was never one on the throne that was absolutely faithful in that. There were some that were great. There were some that were great. There were some that were absolutely wicked. But Solomon is asking for discernment, for insight to be able to faithfully lead his people. So God is very pleased with this. Okay, but he does say, as is the command for all the kings, for all the people, be careful, be, keep on watch, walk in my ways, follow my commandments, and all will be well with you. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. Okay, that is the faithfulness of God, which manifests faith, faithfulness. You know, again, I've, I've, we've also made the point that God isn't some genie, right? You don't ask for wisdom and he just kind of you know, waves his wand and gives you wisdom. But basically, he's giving him a wise and discerning heart to develop wisdom. One of my first, the first proverb I kind of came across in my walk uh, in, in Christianity is Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that came from the pen of Solomon. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, which are, which are full of pithy, short, very wise and astute Proverbs, insightful. The book of Ecclesiastes, where he's talking about the vanity of vanities, all, all the sweat and toil on, on this earth is all vain. That's more of an apologetic book. Basically, it's an ad hominem argument. He's basically saying, okay, fine, let's take the nihilistic principle, right? Let's just say it's all meaningless. Well, what are the ramifications for that? Where can we find true, true meaning, you know? And ultimately, that is only found in God. So he talks about all that occurs under the sun, and he, he talks about all that occurs under heaven. Obviously, the juxtaposition is the under the, er, under the sun is all that we see around us. Under heaven, ultimately, is, is God's domain. Obviously, God reigns at all, but he's arguing against that. The Song of Songs is a wonderful, <coughs> romantic book. It actually, you know, it, it would imbue, it would be good and wise for a couple, any couple, especially if they're anticipating marriage, to always go through the Song of Songs. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful exchange between a husband and a wife. And they're both so devoted to, it, to each other. It's really beautiful. So that, this all came from the pen of Solomon. Remember, David was, was the greatest poet. Wonderful poet. Beautiful thing. And David was filled with wisdom as well. But the way Solomon wrote, and again, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs, are just wonderful. It's just wonderful literature that, that is meant to pass down from generation to generation to feed his children. And that, that all kind of came, at least these, those books, came from the pen of Solomon, who asked, humbly asked for wisdom. You know, he's the king, 
And, you know, David was likely something of a hero to him. The peace is now kind of established. David just kind of conquered all the enemies. And so part of the reason Solomon starts marrying all these women is because they're making treaties with all these other nations, which is somewhat fine, but they weren't supposed to intermarry. Remember, we've also seen, you know, that restriction. You're not allowed to marry a foreigner and so forth. But we also saw David had his share of wives as well. Again, though, procured by these treaties, okay? But Solomon takes it to an entirely different level, which we'll see. So that is his request regarding, you know, regarding God giving him wisdom so that he can rule faithfully. Okay, the, next, the other thing I wanted to get to is chapter 8. We're going to kind of pick and choose some of these verses. So again, Solomon was called, because remember, David was not allowed to build the temple, to build the house of the Lord. Remember, he had asked God if he could build his temple, and God says, when have I asked for anybody to build me a house? And he promises David, I'm going to build you a house forever. There, will, there is going to come a one that will sit on your throne forever. Right? So instead of you building me a house, I'm going to build you a house, but your Solomon, I mean your son Solomon, which means peace, is going to build this house. And so Solomon takes up his kingship and begins his kingship in a great period of peace. His whole life is filled with peace. All the, all the enemies outside, it's a great time of peace. Remember what we had mentioned regarding David is considered the golden age of Israel. Well, that continued at least in the beginning of Saul's reign for a long time during Saul's reign. I mean, uh, 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 Solomon's reign. So, going into this, this is basically af right after the completion of the work. He's, he's building the temple, which took seven years to complete, and he's also building his palace, which took 14 years to make. And there's all sorts of conjecture we can get into, but again, we are breezing through this, seeing the faithfulness of God through this man in particular. So, we're going to read, so this is chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, Since the day I, that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel to which to, in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. So remember, remember that before the, te before the temp temple, they had the tabernacle, which was really a tent of meeting. So it, it could move from place to place. We had said that one of the places it had begun is in Shiloh. Well, we'll also see it was, it's in Gideon. And so it would move around from time to time. Okay, I, I, I speculate that during, um, during Samuel's prophecy, you know, his prophetic ministry, I, would, I guess, I assume that it was actually placed in Ramah. So it moves around all the time. So God, it, um, Solomon's basically repeating the fact that David, you know, that God never requested this, you know, he, but, you know, according to David's request, God is being faithful to his servant David, to his son David, and Solomon's just reminding everybody, and he's blessing God for staying, remaining faithful to his promise to his father David. Here it is. He had promised this, and now it's come to pass. I told you David had, made, you know, prepared everything, gotten all the stuff ready, and ultimately, the only thing left was some lumber that came from a King Hiram from Tyre. Now, briefly, I didn't want to get into this, but I'm going to. 
Remember, we talked about Tyre and Sidon. Remember, that's where Jesus went to with that Syrophoenician woman, where he encountered that Syrophoenician woman. So Tyre began very faithful, very faithful, strong allies to Israel. And then they fell away. Then they fell away and became fierce enemies with Israel. And there are many judgments regarding Tyre and Sidon. In fact, that passage in Ezekiel that we read last week regarding the devil begins with the king of Tyre to illustrate, to depict this one who began well and fell, had an absolute fall, just like the devil, all right? So that's Tyre. And so everything's ready, all right, because God has been faithful to his promise to my father David, all right? So we're going to jump to verse 22 and go until verse 30. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven, and said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you have promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your, to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant, servant makes toward this place, and may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So now we've also mentioned the, the tendency for henotheism. So all these nations regard their God as a God just for their nation. Whereas Israel, he, he is a God, the God of Israel, but he is the God of heaven and earth. The heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. You know, you're the eternal one. Okay, You have manifested yourself to, the, to this people. You have chosen a people for yourself. So the distinction between the God of Israel, the God of the true Christian, the God of the church, okay, and the God of the heaven and the heavens and the, and the worlds around us and so forth. It's just a distinction. He's the same God. He, there's one God, all right, but he's the, the creator of heaven and earth. He's the sustainer of heaven and earth. And Solomon's just pointing that out. You are the God of Israel. Listen to your people when they pray toward, when they pray toward this place. So back then, you know, wherever you were, you would pray toward the temple, no matter what, you know, you see that still today somewhat, whereas we pray toward Christ, wherever we are facing anywhere, you know, but we pay, we pray toward the temple that is Christ. Remember, his flesh is the temple, his body is the temple, okay? So that's what he's saying, though. whenever we pray to you, whenever your servant, whenever I pray to you, whenever your people pray to you and make supplications, here in your dwelling place, I know you're not here, okay, I know this place cannot contain you, so where you dwell, hear your people, and when you hear them, forgive, be just as faithful as you've been to my father, be just as faithful as you have been this whole time, when the hearts of the people are true, 
listen, and because we're going to skip some parts, but that's ultimately kind of what he's getting into when, and we'll, we'll see the foreigner, but when, when such and such happens and the people rise up in repentance and, and pray toward you here in heaven and forgive them. Okay, so let's go to verse 33. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. Now that's just the history of what's going on. You remember, we had seen through the book of Judges, through the deliverance out of Egypt, so many different times, but especially in the book of Judges, where the people start worshiping other gods. They fall away, and then God hands, hands them over into the hand of an enemy until they repent, and then once they repent, he sends a deliverer. He sends a deliverer over and over and over again. So he has been faithful to the repentance and the return of his people. Again, just going back to that's why they were punished. They were punished like, like a father punishes his son or daughter, so to speak. But specifically in Proverbs, it talks about he who spares the rod hates his son. God will discern. I mean, he will discipline his people because he loves his people. So Solomon is saying, whenever this happens, we go out to war and everything, please be faithful to your people, you know, and, and destroy our enemies for your people, for your people's sake, and ultimately for your name's sake. This is your promise. This is your promise. That's what we depend on. That's our faith. We, we believe in the promises of God because he is absolutely sure to his promise. To his promises. He's absolutely faithful to his promises. So that's what he's asking there. Now, the following verse, verse 35, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, there it is, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So this is like a two-way blessing, right? <laughs> one, one, discipline your people, discipline your people. When, when, when we need that, discipline us. But when we cry out to you, because, you know, you're, you're causing this famine, you know, so to speak, for the discipline of the people. When the people return, when the people repent and confess their sin, be faithful in heaven and send down rain. But also, when we turn, thereby or therefore, you can show us the true way. Remember, that's why we've continued the point that salvation is a turning from, it's a repentance from, and it's a turning to. It's, it, it's a that is the completed work of Christ, essentially, to put it in a nutshell. It's a turning from and it's a turning to. So when we turn from and confess our sins, we turn toward our amazing God who is true and faithful and truly loves his people. And therefore, we, we are taught the true way of salvation and the ways of God. We become wiser and then we become more godly. All right, verse 41, moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel. See, this is the indication that I've been trying to emphasize that the Gentiles were added into the Old Testament. The, the tendency is to see the Old Testament only applicable to the country, the nation Israel, where that's not true. The Queen of Sheba came up to hear the wisdom of, uh, of Solomon. 
Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your, for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this temple, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Remember, as we've discussed Jesus's ministry, you know, the Jews always had a problem with the Gentiles coming to faith. And ultimately, Paul going out to the Gentiles. That has happened throughout the Old Testament. And Solomon here is making it clear that if a foreigner comes in because he's heard of your great name, he's heard of your testimony, somebody's gone to the ends of the earth and found this person, he's heard of Yahweh, and now he's come. He's come to serve you. He's come to worship you. So here in heaven, and be faithful. You know, you're not just the God of Israel. You're the God of over all, all things, all people. So when somebody hears the truth of your name and who you are and comes to worship you, receive him, receive him. And basically now he's the people of Israel. He is part of the community of God. Verse 46. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of their enemy, far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed a wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul, in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant, servant and the supplication of your people Israel, to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance, as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Now this goes, this is a, somewhat of a prophecy. We've seen other prophecies talking about the, captivities, the captivity of Israel, which comes at the end of the kingdom. Okay, so they already know this is going to happen, all right? The people with their, you know, Bible already know this is the tendency of the people. The people are going to sin so greatly, and you're going to deliver them over and over and over again. However, it's going to become a time where it's so great that they will not hear you. They will not hear you, and ultimately, you will lead them into captivity, and that's what happens. You know, the northern tribe of Israel is taken captive, captive to Assyria. And the southern tribe of Judah is taken to Babylon. But what Solomon is saying is, when that happens, and they finally do turn to you in captivity, then hear. And also, when you hear their supplications for those who even took them captive, then hear. For they are all your people, okay? Then hear. Okay, so not only for your people Israel, but also for those for, to, for whom they're praying. And also... For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance. Again, this is something I will continue to repeat. The, our only means of salvation is his inheritance. He has chosen you. 
He has written your name in the book of life in eternity. You bring nothing to the equation. And we're just going to have to remember that as we go into our next message. But briefly, let me just say, many, many, I had one of my best friends, you know, lived with us, with us for a time. And, you know, he would go to church with us on occasion, but he did not want to become a Christian because he thought he wasn't good enough. He thought he needed to change his ways and so forth before he could come to Christ. He wasn't worthy. And ultimately, none of us are. We're never going to be worthy. We're never going to muster up the righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, especially compared to the wholeness and the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God. Right? We will never be good enough. He is good enough to make us good enough. He doesn't look at you and say, oh man, you really stand out. And especially compared to that king of Babylon, that Nebuchadnezzar fella, you know, you are so much greater than him. You know, this Hitler guy, man, I'm glad you're doing better than him. So just come into my kingdom. That is not salvation. That is not salvation. Salvation depends on the promises of God with which manifests in us being his inheritance. He has called you by name. Remember Christ, our good shepherd. He calls the sheep by name. Each one. He doesn't say, hey flock, come on over. No, he says, Sarah, come into the fold. Jay, Chris, Michelle, mom, sorry, I'm not going <laughs> to call you Rose. But he'll call you by name. <laughs> so all of it, it's a personal, it's individual. It, it is corporate. You know, we will be kings and queens and priests forever together. So it is, it is a true assembly. It's a wonderful assembly compared to the church, you know, manifested here on this earth. It is a wonderful and glorious assembly that we, that awaits us. But we have a taste of that here. But ultimately, again, that is only by the providence of God in and through his faithfulness, in and through his promises. That is our only foundation of faith. That is only, our only foundation of salvation as well. All right, moving along to verse 54. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread, out, uh, spread up to heaven. What a wonderful picture. What a wonderful picture. Here's this king, the, the heir apparent of David. He's, he's been granted wisdom and he's humbled. He's humbled on his knees, lifting his hands, though, to make supplication for the people. Ultimately, remember, the, the, the priest would always lay his hand on the sacrifice. There's all these laying on of hands. However, when the people are so much, you lift your hands up to heaven. Basically, it's the same manifestation. It's the same deal, basically. You know, through my hands, you know, through my prayer, hear it from all these. Okay? Don't, I'm not asking you to grant my prayer just for me. Okay, this is a prayer for everybody. All right. Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. Taking it all the way back to Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us, which he promised. Remember, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded to our fathers so just real quickly so that he, you may incline our hearts to yourself to walk in all of your ways and to keep your commandments and your statutes and your judgments which you've commanded to our fathers this is the way this happens this is the way it happens you, he manifests himself to you if this is a rule 
That's why I've always also repeated, if this is a rule, an unwilling rule, if one of his commandments you don't like, so you're just not, you, you choose to comply with, but reluctantly, that is not the faithfulness of God's people. We see the wonder. We, we truly see the more we walk the narrow path, we see the glory of these commandments, and therefore, we manifest them by nature. Our nature changes. Once we are indwelt with Christ, we are no longer the same man or a woman. Okay? So, that's basically what he's asking. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord, God, that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as it is this day. It is a very faithful prayer from Solomon. Wonderfully, wonderful and faithful. Just so you know, most of First Kings in particular, most of the book of Kings has to do with Solomon, but you will also see more, of, more accounts. They're similar. I mean, they talk about some of the same things, but give you more detail in First Chronicles. So if you want to study Solomon more, then, then I would implore you to seek that as well. So this is a wonderful, faithful prayer. And he says, there's no God other than you. You're the only God, right? We're going to turn to chapter 11 and read the first 13 verses. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to, to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, that's really um, Moloch, uh, the, the abomination of the uh, Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's key. The more we go through these kings, the very few say he was faithful to God. He walked in his ways. Many, many have this same uh, description. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember, that's what was going on in Judges. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as, his, uh, as did his father David. And Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. It's right near Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. So he basically kept on repeating, be warned, don't do this. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, because he had promised, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen now. We briefly discussed this 
because of Solomon's disobedience, because his failing, as he grew, as he grew older, he was, he became captivated himself. He was a captive of his own lust. He, he became very infatuated with these women who turned their hearts. Okay, now, now again, we're going to be brief about this, so there's much to be said about this. There's much to be said about this. However, he had been warned. He had been constantly warned not to turn away from the Lord your God. Okay, there is one in heaven. There is one God. There is no other. You've said this. You know this. Why are you worshiping Molech? Why are you going to the Ashtoreth? Why are you building this place on the east of Jerusalem? I've been warning you. You prayed about my faithfulness. You've seen my constant hand of faithfulness. And yet you have turned away. Now I'm going to take the kingdom out of your hand. But since I promised David that you will sit on the throne, that your, that your kingdom is going to be a kingdom of peace, I'm going to wait and do this in the days of your son. And ultimately, that's where the kingdom becomes divided, where you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. It's a, it's a terrible account. There are basically two kings, except for Saul, but we've talked about him. So basically, two, right after two kings, David was absolutely faithful, but he, has, he had his problems, but he wasn't about to go worship other gods. Solomon fell into gross sin into gross sin. It's much like adultery. We're, we are, God is ever faithful to us. Christ is our wonderful, faithful husband. Okay? And when we go after other gods, we are basically committing adultery. The promise has been broken. The marriage pact is over. Do you understand this? That is why it's the most heinous sin. Idolatry, the the putting anything above the Lord your God, which is a lovely command. This is, again, if this is forced upon you, then it's much like what Christ was saying regarding adultery. You know, he who looks after a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery. If this is just a command you're not willing to follow, then you don't know the faithfulness of, of the marriage. You don't know how, how beautiful God has created marriage to be. If you manifest this faithfulness to the Lord your God first, then you will see the manifestation of the faithfulness that is meant for a husband and a wife, for the marriage, for the marriage union. Remember, we are supposed to become one flesh. We are meant to be one flesh. We leave the house of our fathers and our mothers. We still honor them. All right? We still honor them all the rest of our days. However, your wife or your husband becomes your man or woman for the rest of your life. The only one who must supersede them is God himself and him alone. Nothing should come before or in the way of him. Otherwise, you are breaking the promise. When God, when God calls, him, calls us to himself to be his people, then, and that's a wonderful gift, right? What a wonderful, spectacular, glorious gift. And then, I mean, obviously, you know, the God of heaven has summoned us. What a wonderful... Here we get to go to the table of our Lord, the table of our Master. So, in gratitude, we say, yes, of course, I'd love to be part of your people. Yes, I do. I do. Before all these people, I do. 
I do. I am now your wife. I am now betrothed to you, my God. Well, if we do that, and then we fall away, His hand is always faithful. His hand is ever faithful, and it has been. We've seen this. It's the people who fall away. It's we ourselves who fall away. And that always has repercussions, okay? Solomon had prayed, though. You know, once you, dis once you discipline your people, it, should this happen, and you discipline your people, once they come to themselves, when they remember who you are, remember that, that prophecy in Jeremiah, turn thou me, and I shall be turned. That is the only means of repentance. That is the only way of true contrition. We do not have the power to turn ourselves. We do not. God does. And if we find ourselves worshiping other gods or not following His commandments, and we see the ramifications of that, let's not blame God. Remember, in the book of James, don't be foolish, brethren. Don't be fools. Don't, 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 you know, ascribe to God your temptation. You're tempted because of your own desires. You know, don't, don't blame God for this. This is our doing. We are our problem. God is not our problem. God is our gift. And by His grace, by His forgiveness, by His constant, faithful, and steady hand, we are grafted in as His inheritance. The only glory there is, again, this, this life, this pilgrimage, is brief. We have, generally, a brief moment on this earth. Ages have come and gone. Generations have come and gone, and generations will come and go. He has procured a people for himself, a great harvest that is white for the reaping. It is ready to be reaped. And once he returns, that great day of Christ should usher us in to the table of our master, to the table of our king, the true king, who is full of wisdom and splendor and honor and absolute fidelity to you, who chose you it chose you, plucked you out of the fire, wrote your name in eternity, has a new body ready for you, and glory and splendor and dominion and a house <laughs> with your name on it as well, and a place right by his side to be enjoyed at the king's table. So, as we conclude our, our consideration of Solomon, you have to understand how difficult <laughs> this, this is because there's so much. One of the wonderful things about the Bible, you know, because we're going to get into Christ's trials here in a minute with our next message. You know, we've gone, we've, we've considered different accounts more than once because there's no exhausting the Bible. <laughs> we will come back to this, God willing, and there will be much more to be said. The trials of Christ, there's no way I can give that to you in an hour and exhaust the profundity and the amazing work that Christ manifested in and through that. So we gotta take our time, all right? But, so, we're trying to be a little bit brief here, so it's very difficult. However, as we conclude our consideration of Solomon, things are going to develop somewhat, somewhat quickly. You know, we're going to consider some kings, certain kings, certain good kings, certain evil kings, wicked kings. We'll consider many of the prophets. We, you know, we could consider all of them, but that's really not what we're doing in this series. Okay, we'll, we'll wait for these things 
as as the years or the months or the weeks or the days go by, God willing. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life. <laughs>